1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends. Today on Loose Units, we're doing something a little bit different. You see, it's the five-year anniversary, more or less, of Loose Units. Now, Many of you came across to this show because Michelle Laurie recommended it on her true crime podcast, Australian True Crime, for which we are eternally grateful. But Dad and I were trawling through the archives and listening to some of our early episodes and kind of freaking out at not only how bad the sound quality was comparatively, but also just, I mean this show has felt like Loose Units since the beginning. And given that many of you have joined us at varying stages of our five-year journey or throughout the books or from the press tours or live shows, what we thought we would do is play you our first ever episode of Loose Units. Now, if you've heard this before, please forgive us. But if you haven't, have a listen and see what you think, because this is where the journey began. This is before we'd actually planned anything out. We hadn't signed up with ACAST to distribute the show right now. We hadn't had any sponsors. We hadn't really planned anything. We sat down after I'd written the book about Dad, and I basically just said, at Tegan's behest, let's go through some of the stories that didn't fit. Now, you can have a listen for yourselves and see what five years have done to us, but also, If you have listened before, listen with a fresh pair of ears and tell us what you think. This is the very first episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Enjoy. When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, dad was a cop in Sydney in the 1980s at the height of its most corrupt, violent, bizarre period, at least as far as crime and policing went. And when I was a kid, I stumbled into some of his case files, quite literally, and saw some incredibly disturbing crime scene photos. And I was plagued by recurring nightmares for years and years. And so one day I decided to ask him what exactly he went through all those decades ago on the streets of North Sydney. So I pulled out a tape recorder, this tape recorder actually, and I got it all on record. I wrote a book about it in fact, it's called Loose Units. And like I said, we went to some deep, dark, disturbing corners of policing and it was all on the record. Well, not all of it actually, that's why we're here. Lots of it was too strange, too horrible, too, Well, loose, funnily enough, to make it onto the pages of Loose Units. And in Loose Units, the podcast, right here every week, I'll sit down with Dad in the same room that we recorded the book sessions in, and we will go places we never did in the book itself. Enjoy. This is Loose Units, the podcast. The aim of this show every week is to give you true crime stories from John Verhoeven's time as a cop in the 80s. And um, uh, we've kind of ruined that premise straight off the bat by having a story that, doesn't have you as a cop, nor is it... No, um, but
2: it, um, it sort of... It, it gave me a little bit of a blueprint for if even when... Uh, it's weird to say what I just mm-hmm. said, because at the time, you know, I had no idea mm-hmm. that I'd become a police officer. Uh, and and I'm really, really, really stoked and happy that I did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a 17-year-old, it's weird that I thought, wow, that's... They were pretty decent. Because the police had a reputation. Even, even then? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, scary stuff. But look, um... You know, you've asked me to sort of recount some stories... Yeah. ...from my uniform days. Yeah,
1: stuff that, stuff that happened during... I Was it the first three or four years, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I've got some really good stories mm. um, that are not in the book. Okay. Um, because fortunately, I took copious notes over the... Probably two years in preparation for your book. Yes. And um, this... Uh, I'll set the scene. I was working at Mossman Police Station, which was what was called a substation of... North Sydney. So, in sort of Sydney was divided up into divisions, and North Sydney and Mossman were six division, Chatswood twenty five division, Manly fourteen division, and they were very, very particular about delineation of areas. So, you know, to go out of your area was well, you had to notify VKG, which is police radio. And one night we just started at Mossman, and we were in car six ten, and there was a report of a shots being fired. In Balgala. Now, Balgala was out of area. But because it was the change of shift around about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, no one had responded. So it was sort of alleged shots fired. So, But like Balgala's is quite away from... Yeah, so yeah from Mossman, it would be probably maybe seven kilometres. And you had to go over a bridge,
1: which is called the Spit Bridge. Yeah, but be honest, like when you hear that, that nobody's responding... If you're keen enough to take the call, how long do you wait before it's technically okay to run
2: across and try and pick up the slack? Well, that, well, if, if VKG, you know, we responded because we were in the car, and um, I was the senior man, and uh, we put the call through, and we said, "Look, we're, we're available to respond." And VKG came back and said, "You know, six uh, six ten, um, copy, and here's here's the the address," and we kind of went over there, you know, fairly urgently. Um, who's we? What? Well, me and my driver. Do you remember who your driver was? No, but he was... Uh, no, I don't. Okay. But uh, I seem to recall he was from the country. Uh, quite a few police back then were from the bush.
1: What were, what were bush cops like? Uh, a bit
2: slower. Not mentally. <laughs> <right>. Jesus. <laughs> Not slower. You mean but like they just... They spoke slowly. They were more... Um, calmer. Yeah, calmer. Sort of, they seemed to get less stressed, whereas I was sort of like you know jumping beads on beads god jumping beans and methamphetamines because
1: you still have uh, you know a fairly excitable Mm. you know yeah i still get really excited about nothing so you and this like slow
2: police actually i do i do remember him quite actually now that you mention it he he always used to wear his cap uh crooked it had a tilt not back, not backwards. Just no, like a jaunty just sort of angle, a weird angle, which was so bizarre. Is there, you, surely, there's like regulations against you know customising your uniform. I wouldn't say that's customising, but perhaps that was wearing the hat not as per the, the protocols.
1: Maybe he was wearing it normally, and his head was just crooked. <clears throat> yeah, maybe.
2: But um, funnily enough, in the police manual for how you know for dress code, haircuts, moustaches, they actually had the dimensions of your moustache. Actually. Just trying to think. You were allowed to have a moustache. I couldn't grow and I didn't get facial hair till I was about 40. Still don't? Yep. But uh, I, it actually had this weird drawing, like a French sort of guy with a sort of a bit of a funny moustache with curls on the end in the police manual. Hang on,
1: are you sure this isn't like the picture of like un, under like the <laughs> picture of the, like the, because what, what you're describing is like the prototypical criminal with the sack with the dollar signs drawn on it and the French stripy pyjamas and the barrow.
2: They used to call it the Penry identification kit, where they used to get like all these weird. They'd have a box of uh, like paper mustaches and oh, make, sounds is that paper how, eyebrows? and they'd make up. That's how they would make up the the identity kit. Obviously, it's all computer. This just sounds like an arts and crafts day. Yeah, well, it was it was like that. You just you choose. You would look into a into a box of mustaches, and you would just go, yeah, it was like that. We're moving right off the subject here.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, listeners should know that um, writing the book with Dad was like this, but tenfold, because Dad would have tangents he wanted to go off on. But obviously, writing the book was. I'm not going to talk about the writing of the book. So, um, you uh, visited the moustache dimension, uh, and but but then we were before that talking about uh, the country police officer who was your driver yep. on the night where there were shots fired in Bagala. Take Correct. it away. And also,
2: it has to be um, uh, sort of known to to the to the listener. Yeah. Uh, assuming we have listeners. Oh, don't maybe cut that bit out. Sorry, sorry.
1: It's going to be a roaring success.
2: But um, (sighs) for all the listeners out there that are listening, um, what was I going to say? That's right. So whenever you see a police car, it's probably the same today, but back in the the 80s. So you'd see a police car and there'd be two people generally in the car. So the driver was always the junior person. Mm. And the senior person, which was me on this night, uh, the senior guy or girl is the one that, Um, makes all the decisions decides um, at what speed they're going to go to a job are they going to have the lights on are they going to have lights and siren all that sort of stuff so it's a a really responsible position and you end up generally doing all the paperwork so I made the call we put it through we were acknowledged and we started to head towards Balgala and I can remember that night really really clearly we went over the Spit Bridge up up to the top of um, like Seaforth? Yeah, up into Seaport, and yeah. hung a right and started heading towards Manly. Yeah. And we knew that this job was near a post office and because it's out of area you don't get to you don't really know your areas that well but we, you know I'm a Northern Beaches person so yeah. I had a feel for it. We pulled up in this side street we turned the light on now back in those days we didn't have you know computerized sat nav um, computer apps we had a UBD or a Gregory's street directory yeah. and these books were around about an inch thick mm. and it was laborious you'd, you'd, you had to get the spelling spot on you'd go to the index you'd go down there'd be like 70 or 80 streets of the same name you would find out the suburb you'd, you'd bring one finger down and another finger across and where they linked up that's where you'd go and you would direct that was another thing about being the, the observer you'd have to direct the driver so we directed I'm directing him into this side street we pull up we had to turn the light on inside the police car mm. to read the map sure and all of a sudden our car was shot at oh shit we pulled up directly outside a siege situation <laughs> and to say we both exited the car dramatically yeah. we got out the car on the driver's side so my driver opened his door and sort of slid out and hid. And then I had to go out his way because the bullet shot had come from the left. And it was coming from a house that we'd actually parked because no one actually knew where the shots were being fired from. Mm. And inadvertently, we'd pulled up outside and this guy was looking down at us and he had a 303, which is a mighty powerful gun. Mm. And we were... Obviously, we called for urgent assistance, let them know we could then pinpoint... The exact address. Now, here's the weird thing: it was around about quarter to eleven at night. It was a week night. We were pinned behind our car till nine a.m. the next day. Get out! Can you believe it?
1: So, what do you do back there for fun, or are you just no. a, you're riveted awake the whole time?
2: Because every now and again, there'd be lulls where, and obviously it turned into a massive production. But we were. It was a really dangerous situation. They had to get the police to sort of somehow or other really safely door knock and get all the residents because they really they, they realised that at night time it was relatively safe insofar as people are not walking around, mm. it's a fairly quiet street, but they realised that comes six six thirty seven in the morning, everyone comes out of the house to go to work, so yeah. they basically had to to really carefully door knock and tell all the residents within a fairly big um, radius oh. that they couldn't leave the houses the next morning. So we were still pinned down. And eventually they raided this guy's house and uh, he was asleep. He'd fallen asleep. But it was a full-blown seat. Hang on, he wasn't like
1: sleep-shooting people, was he?
2: No, no, no. But that was the thing. All night, you'd think that he was... You know, the shots had stopped and then all of a sudden if you moved a little bit, he'd pop one at you. But if
1: somebody is shooting people while they're asleep, let's just follow that line of inquiry, idiotic as it is, for a minute. Let's say somebody is sleep shooting, yeah? Like a, like a, like sleepwalking but with a gun. Yep. Are they criminally liable? It's
2: a good question. Um, is it? Well... <laughs> I don't know, to be honest
1: with you. <laughs> but the, like, it, technically, that's, you know, it's got to be adjacent to the insanity plea because it's not technically, they're not doing it under their own steam, right? Um, I don't know whether that'd be a defence,
2: but it'd be difficult to prove. Ah. Uh, yeah. But okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a silly question, quite frankly. Okay, so he's asleep. Yep. Uh, no, he was sleeping intermittently. M- well, yeah. So every time he woke up, he'd drop a, let, you know, let a few go. Hmm. And then get B- bullets, you mean? Bullets.
1: Okay. But we didn't know. No, you wouldn't. That's right. So, okay, so were you present for the moment when the sleepy boy was extracted from yes. his yes. nest? Okay. You know, it was
2: pretty brutal. Right. Well, what do you mean? Well, the police that went in were, you know, they're obviously pumped up. Mm. They have a mission. That's scary. Let's face it, going into an unknown situation. Back in those days, they didn't have u cameras and things they could slide under doors and, you know, mm. suss the whole thing out. It was very much sort of on the spur of the moment policing.
1: Okay. So, um... You didn't go in with them? No, God, no. You
2: were, we were dying to get home. We were tired. Oh, you, you, you were going to clock off, right? Yeah. So, oh, well, actually, the good news is that I got two hours overtime.
1: Okay, well, i listeners can you know rest easy in that knowledge. Yeah. Um, so do, you, did you ever find out why he was taking pot shots? It was, it was a domestic.
2: But you had a, a tough um, relationship, and he just decided to vent by shooting people.
0: For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
1: Cool. So, who I'm assuming. Okay, I'm just trying to piece together more of a picture of uh, who he was, no why idea. he was doing it. No idea? No. So, what, what, did he, what would you charge him with? Oh, that'd be, that'd be major, some indictable
2: offence of, you know, firearm offences. Okay. Possibly uh, maybe attempted murder, of police, all that sort of stuff.
1: Did he hit the car at any point?
2: No, but it was bloody close. How do you know? Part of my hair. No, it didn't.
1: <laughs> sounds good though. It sounds great. Yeah. It's a shame you you know. Shame you admitted that wasn't real. Um. Okay. So, and how long had you been uh, in the police force at that point? Oh, only about two years. Okay. So you were out of. Uh,
2: you were out of training. Yeah, out of my probation. Um, I've been on on the road for about um you know a year, and then they decided to make me senior. Senior person, the observer, which you could do in the police force back then, golly, after maybe 12 months. Okay. But you'd be sort of on a fairly junior car, mm. so you weren't like on, on the, the division's most important car, which like, in that case was six one. Yeah, I was going
1: to say six one. So what car were you in the night you were shot at? 6'10". And what kind of car was that? A sedan. Just And, a, and back in those
2: days, uh, I don't know whether anyone will remember, but... You know, like today, all police cars are a standard colour, but back in those days, not only did we have multiple coloured cars, and some of the cars were, the colours were quite frankly horrendous.
1: Oh, like, like Thunderbirds, you got your green one, the yellow one. Greys,
2: browns, blues, we even had pink, and we had Falcons, Holdens, mm. Valiant's. Some Valiants had
1: vinyl roofs. Oh. I
2: mean, it was a, a hodgepodge of, of shit, basically. It was mm. embarrassing sometimes. But who picks the cars? Look, they were just sort of... That's a good question. Are they
1: appropriated from police auctions? Are they seized no, no, they're goods? No,
2: no, they're brand new. But mm. maybe just... Look it was weird. But was you no, have,
1: you, my, my issue is you have a uniform, right? Yeah, yeah. But if the cars were in indication, you could have all just been wearing whatever you wanted. True, right? true, true. But the, the weird thing also about
2: uniforms is that when I joined the police force and... You know, came out um, at North Sydney in general duties in 1981. Uh, Back in those days, they it was not deemed suitable to see a police officer's appointments. Appointment being gun, yeah, handcuffs, penis, etc. Yeah, so everything was concealed. But when you think about it, in a stress situation, if you're going to be or if you have to pull your gun out really, really quickly, yes. you'd, you'd be fumbling because it'd be sort of un- tucked in underneath the, this long sort of tunic Yeah. and really, really dangerous. Whereas the police now, you'll notice, have got everything really, really um, easy to, to access. But yeah. having said that, the, the guns we used to use, which um, was the 38 Smith & Wesson, or 38 police special yeah. with special ammunition, mm. which was useless... The theory behind that, I think you've touched on that in the book about yes. yeah. So the stuff just, that shreds through, you know, supposed to go in and then down and not go through, like in a Dirty Harry movie when you know he lets a forty-four magnum go go in the street, the reality and he and he, and he blows some fucker mm. away. The reality in in America or on any, on any street is that he would in reality probably kill. Mm, let me think. The forty-four magnum. You could kill maybe five people. The, the bullets just keep going. Yeah, okay. but, You know,
1: one flimsy bit of flesh and bone does not stop the so, projectile. So the point of the police special ammunition is to stop at the person you hit and not carry through. Yeah, it
2: was designed to go in, I believe, two inches and then travel down and just basically destroy internal uh, organs. But there was a very famous case when I was in the police force. A police officer was shot... Um, and he returned fire, I think it was in Goulburn back in the 80s. In fact, there were a few cases where police actually shot at crims close range. And I'll never forget, in one case, the police officer unloaded his entire um, six shots yeah. into a guy and the guy kept coming. Didn't stop him. And that's when they began to realise that the ammo was shit. Right. I mean, whereas... But I guess the good thing was in those days... Because in, st- in a stressful situation, you're, you don't want to be fumbling around with safety things. So mm. all the revolvers that we had back then had no safety. So you'd take them out of your holster, you'd aim, and you'd just pull the trigger. Oh, Jesus. No safeties. That's, in my opinion, a really good thing. Can you imagine in a stress situation... You go to pull your gun out. You go to shoot the guy, or whatever. And you have to like. A... And then you go. Hang on a sec. It's not firing. The yeah. stress is. I mean, you've been on a shooting range. You and I went to Thailand. Yes. Um, a few months ago, we fired the gun that you fired. We fired the actual, uh, thirty-eight special. Yeah. Which was fantastic. It was very strange. It was... You appreciate when you've got your, your headphones on and mm. you can hear your heart pumping, and it's 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 you know it's not a sort of a, it's not a toy. They're also
1: very okay. If if. Uh, being able to deploy the weapon very quickly without safety precautions is an, is, is actually a helpful thing in, in a pinch. Um, doesn't that open up a whole litany of risks if, for example, your first instinct is wrong? Or do you know what I mean? I, I have a real problem today.
2: Yeah. I watched that footage last week in Melbourne. Yes. And for those of you that... Well, I think everyone in Australia saw the, the situation. And I watched that. And I tip my hat to the police I thought they really really gave that person so much leeway yes I they. Agree. they it was it was and you know that's the, the the other side of the pendulum where you know have we created a situation obviously you don't want police to just rock up and just blow people away well they're not cowboys yeah no they're not but yeah. then they get but, but the other end of the spectrum is that the longer they wait the more they put their own lives at risk and I, I watched that footage and it was about a minute and a half of negotiating and just you know, I, I grant you that in America, it's the it's it's the antithesis mm. of what we do here, where yeah. they probably would have got out and perhaps even shot the guy from from their car. But well, he's not white, so he would have been dead before they even arrived. True, true, true. But yeah. I think what we've what we've created you've got to put you you've got to get into the the psyche of the police officer. These police officers today, mm. we're no different. They're exactly the same as us. They're They're all different types of people coming together, but there's a commonality in that they want to, you know, probably do the right thing and look after people and protect life and all that sort of stuff. And you know, because of everyone's got a camera, and that that that's drilled into the fact that you know whatever you do, you will be under immense scrutiny, Mm. Um, and it's a double-edged sword. My 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 true feeling is that we're creating a situation for police where they're going to take longer to come to a particular decision. Yes. And I believe, controversially but and anecdotally, that some police in the future will be shot because they hesitated. Because the, the crim, he, he knows when he's going to shoot. The police officers are reacting to a situation. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing of last resort, obviously, but... In that situation that I watched, it, it was almost like it was painful to watch because I'm thinking to myself, at any point, this guy could could do something terrible. And they, they really went above and beyond. But perhaps, look, it's a whole topic within itself.
1: Well, I wanted to ask, actually, because the guy who uh, fired the shot, I could be wrong, but I believe he'd been in active service for about three months. If you'd been... Did you... I'm trying to figure out what what you think it would be like to be that green as an officer and have to actually discharge your weapons. I don't don't
2: think the time in the police force is relevant at all. If you've had good training the day you walk out of that academy, the day you walk out, and that could be your first job, you do what you're trained to do. Whether it be one shift in the New South Wales police force or the the Victorian police, doesn't matter which police force, Mm. And, uh, and then if you've been in the job 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, sure, you might have more street smarts, but at the end of the day, like in skydiving, if you have a malfunction, the training has to kick in. But that's why in the military, when something happens, they all, you know, it, it has to come back to training. So if anything, I wasn't there, but I, I've seen some footage, I would say that we need to be careful um, in terms of our, our, our policy and our policing directions insofar as um you know it's 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 a tough call and to be on the street i mean who who hasn't experienced um you know shock fear um that that rush of adrenaline and it's 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 stressful even if you see a stressful incident on the street and you're just walking past it affects people you know but to be in right in amongst it you need to fall back on that training Mm. and and the training is you pull your gun out if you're going to shoot shoot for the for the maximum body area, which is the chest, uh, you know all this bullshit people going about. Oh, you know why didn't they shoot his leg or his foot or his ear? Fucking gives me the shits. That, what the fuck are they talking about? You when you pull your gun out, mm. you you have a primary objective. And unfortunately, that is to kill
1: the person. Oh, that's if you shoot, right? Like if you, you shoot. You know, it's not a it's not a trick shot situation. No, no, no.
2: You well, you're what they're doing is they're factoring that immense stress that's going through you, and if if you're going to trot, start You know, police officers that are on the street are not, you know, your general duties police. They're not sharpshooters. You know, they're not sitting there for 10 minutes or an hour with a high-powered rifle with one bullet because they don't miss. Mm. And they're given the the order to shoot those guys. That's a different scene. But when you're actually in amongst it... And, you know, sometimes police make the wrong decision. Yeah. And it's seen by the public, because let's face it, we all crucify people by media, social media now, instantaneously which is the downside of social media. So the police are treading a very fine line.
1: When you pulled up at that house in Bargawa, you obviously, the two of you, had guns. Yep. At any point, did you consider... No way.
2: Okay. Not a chance. Well, you don't actually know where the guy is. Mm. You don't... That's... No, never. If you would contemplate going up and looking for that guy and blowing him away... Well, you shouldn't be a cop, I assume. You know that—that oh, that would never enter your mind. Today, I don't know, but you know there are protocols, obviously. But you know, I do actually like to get to the end of my shift. <laughs> that and, movie trip, and preferably alive.
1: Yeah, the movie trope of "we can take him" is so insane oh, to me. Fuck, you know, yeah. But real policing is—it's
2: um, amazing. You know, when when the body, um, when you're just driving along, cruising,
1: and you you see,
2: and something exciting happens, and you and look it's just it's a buzz
1: sadly that's all the time we have on this week's episode of Loose Units the podcast now don't forget to tune in next week for a whole other set of stories which I didn't or couldn't put into the book and don't forget speaking of the book Loose Units is in bookstores nationwide so head out right now if possible just put the phone down and go grab a copy of the book it's crammed with insane true crime stories from the time dad spent on the force in the 80s in Sydney also huge news this is this is breaking news by the way the audiobook of loose units is officially happening you can stop pestering me it's happening it'll be out may 2019 it's going to be huge so keep your eyes on this space for more news as it drops now next week on loose units the podcast dad and his partner have a hectic run-in with senior brass in the australian navy and you'll find out exactly how an ex-cop with little to no impulse control deals with a noise complaint it's a cracker of an episode so don't miss it see you then